Fighting for freedom every day. Broadcasting from the heartland of America. The next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, and what's up? Welcome into it. It is a post-Monday celebration. Greatest day of the entire week, my friends. And holy cow, what a busy day it's been. Washington, D.C., in panic, in turmoil, trying to find another way to not shut down the government by the end of the week. <laughs> That's funny. I don't see that one happening. I'm not going to get too terribly excited for myself. We'll cover that and so much more on the program today. Welcome into it. Let's carpe diem all over this place. What do you say? This is The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting out of the heart of the nation in Wichita, Kansas. With our multiple stations all over the place, plus play uh, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However, you watch or listen to the program, so wonderful to have you along. I'm sorry, I was trying to. I'm reading through some of these articles, and I'm trying to find an analogy that makes sense to what's going on in the world right now. And the analogy that I would use is the story that's actually happening because it's so absurd and ridiculous that it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I can't really create a story to tell you to explain what's happening because what's happening right now would be the satire story that I would try to explain something else. So, yeah, there's a lot of weirdness in the world right now. Coming up on the program today, we have Alex Newman on the program. He is with the Liberty Sentinel Media, also with The New American at thenewamerican.com. You can find all his writings on there. We're going to talk about the behind the scenes and what the media won't tell you about Russia and Vladimir Putin with the ongoing conflict with Ukraine. Obviously, as we go into another budgetary conversation, Democrats saying it's adamant, 100%. We must include Ukrainian funding into the budgetary bill that has to be passed by the end of the week. So, will that happen? Time will tell. We'll see uh, what happens there. But first and foremost, we do this every once in a while. we got to check in with the guy, make sure he's doing all right. He's obviously getting a... Uh, kind of fatigued on the campaign trail right now, is he not? I want to be clear. I'm not going nuts. Making sure. Just making sure. Did you see he was actually on a late night TV show last night? I Now, I don't know any of the late night talk shows right now. I really don't. The last one that I paid attention to with Craig, was uh, Craig Ferguson on the Late Late Show after David Letterman. Not a huge fan of David Letterman, but Craig Ferguson was my guy. And I would watch him all the time. Then they had... I don't know his name, whoever replaced him. And now apparently he's leaving and a new gal who's a stand-up comedian is taking over the show and changed the name of the show and everything else too. So I, I really don't know much of the late night talk shows, but Joe Biden on one of those trying to get popular with the young crowd, apparently wanting to try and hang out with the cool kids club and show how cool and hip he is still with the aviator sunglasses and everything else that he tries to do being all suave and uh, shuffling across the floor of the late night talk studio, but trying to call Donald Trump old while trying to say that he's totally in cognitive ability right now. I find that kind of interesting. Some classified material, some uh, documents recently leaked, some classified documents. And this isn't a gotcha show, but I do want to ask about it. That says you are currently 81 years old. Who the hell told you that? Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's classified. Funny. That's classified. That's funny. All jokes aside, according to recent polling, this is a real concern for American voters. How do you address that concern going forward as you 
come up to the 2024 election. Okay, first and foremost, you got to remember that anything that Joe Biden does is not off the cuff. You got to remember he doesn't even take questions during press conferences. He does his speech and then he scuffles away. He doesn't answer any. And if he does, it's by a few select individuals where it's already screened. He already just calls on them because that's the cue card that tells him to call on that individual. And they already have their preconceived questions. So he doesn't do anything off the cuff. So you know, ha, 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 where'd you tell that? That was classified information. I'm 81 years old. In all seriousness, how are you going to deal with the old age thing going into the election season? That question is already pre-planned for him to answer. And let's see what his response is, because it is a legitimate question. And I'm curious to see what his writers told him to say during this time. Well, a couple of things. Number one, you got to take a look at the other guy. He's about as old as I am, but he can't remember his wife's name. Yeah. And, uh, number one. <laughs> it's about how old your ideas are. Look, I mean, this is a guy who wants to take us back. He wants to take us back on Roe v. Wade. He wants to take us back on a whole range of issues that are 50, 60 years. They've been solid American p- positions. And, um, and I really mean this sincerely. The, uh, I think it's about, war- about the future. And everything, every single thing we've done, I think we've got some good things done. Everything, and we, they told us we couldn't get them done. Because things were so divided. And, uh, but I think everything, everything we've gotten done, he's just friendly stated he wants to do away with if he gets elected. And I really think his views on where to take America are older than, anyway, I know I get to Lost track of where he was saying and what he was talking about there. There you go. The latest from Joe Biden from the Biden basement, my friends. Let's go into the Biden basement. Where he talks about, it's not about the age of the person, it's about the age of the ideas. And apparently conservatism is an old idea. And he's got old ideas and we've got new, fresh, hipster, cool ideas. And he's just doing old ideas where they're just going to bring them back to old ideas and repeal everything that we've done and go back to what he did, which is totally old, like old ideas. There's a governor that, where I come from here in the state of Kansas, there's a governor right now that's a Democrat that likes to use that same argument of the Brownback era. We had a former governor, Sam Brownback, solid Republican, great guy, worked under the Trump administration, and they that's their argument here is, well, it's back to the Brownback era, back to those old times, back to that Brownback experiment when they talk about like tax cuts and government spending, so on and so forth. So it's a typical argument for the democrats barack obama did the same thing under george w bush remember oh the economy is bad because george bush screwed it up we're just going to save it by printing and spending more money (laughs) it's what they love to do and joe biden doing the same thing he's an old guy old ideas totally old ideas makes a lot of sense right uh this is what we're up against right now and then he of course loses his train of thought when he's in the middle of his conversation well well anyways i don't know we just heard a minute and a half rant of joe biden talking about old man stories about people being old. This is the world that we live in today. As I mentioned, I was trying to build an analogy to some of the events going on as we talk about our What's Trending story of the day. What's trending today? And as we look at Washington, D.C., obviously there's a lot to talk about. We have today the Michigan primaries we'll get to in a little bit. We have some other issues. But right now, there is some issues out of Washington, D.C. While we focus on campaign and election season, we can't forget what's happening right now with our elected officials currently and what they're debating on. We have a few, two major issues that are still lingering over us. We have a budget crisis where we could potentially see a government shutdown by the end of the week. That's not going to happen because, of course, if we try to even shut down the government at all... We're all going to die because of you! 
Yeah, so I'm not worried about that, and I'm not going to get my hopes up about doing anything substantial on actually ending our budget crisis, at least right now. So we'll get to that as a minor part of the conversation. But the other big issue right now is immigration, which is still lingering. And we have not been able to pass any immigration reforms. We haven't been able to hold the Biden administration accountable. And I was thinking after the story of Lake and Riley, the student that got killed recently by the illegal immigrant, the conversation has been, will Joe Biden be done after this? And how will they respond and how will they twist this one into their benefit? Because how in the world can you possibly defend your policy decisions when your policy decisions allowed an illegal migrant to come into the country that ended up killing a young girl? How can you possibly defend that? Like, this is, you're over. Even the Democrats are like, well, scratching their head. We don't know what to make of this one. Well, apparently they have. And they found a new way to twist it around. And again, I, I want to set the stage for you in an analogy that's not really an analogy. How do you create a situation by allowing people to come into a country illegally, flood the borders, flood all over the country, criminals especially because we're not vetting them properly. We have the app that's at the border where they can have a two-minute appointment screening process with uh, the border security. They screen them for two minutes. They look at them up and down. All right, you're good. Here's your social program. Here's your bus ticket. Have fun. Go by. Goodbye. Imagine you create that system to where you can say, well, there's no illegal immigrants coming across the nation. There's no illegal immigrants coming across our border. There's no illegal immigrants coming into our country at all. That's not. A, there's no such thing as illegal aliens. That's a human rights violation. You create this system to where you feel like you've done something. Then when people are upset because it's not doing something and crime rates are up and homeless populations are up and social programs for individuals that weren't here before are up and all this disaster that's happening, then you're like, well, yeah, we need to pass a bill that's going to be giving me the authority to actually shut down the border and actually take care of the situation because I totally can't do that right now. Imagine, if you will, that you create this system. Again, Gandalf riding on the great white horse, coming in to save the day. They created this system to say, look at what we've done. Ha ha! And it fails miserably. So their solution is to say, well, I don't have the authority to do what I need to do, so go ahead and pass a bill. And it's up to you, Republicans, to pass this bill, because like the the last one that James Langford wrote from the state of Oklahoma, uh, it was dead on arrival in the House of Representatives. Didn't really seal the border, allowed more immigrants to come in the way that we really don't need them to be coming in. And instead of an actual process in an orderly fashion, it didn't stop any of the situation that's happening right now. So Republicans killed it. And now we see this Lake and Riley who's dead. And the solution to the Biden administration to counteract this when they look really, really bad in this situation is to say, well, if you would have passed a piece of legislation, I could have done something about this and prevented it. Like, that's the analogy that I have. You create a situation, something bad happens, and then you blame the other side for not passing legislation that would have given you the authority when you actually have the authority. I can't make up an analogy to create a better scenario because they did it themselves. It's like the TV show of South Park, where they're like, we're going to stop talking about politics because we can't make jokes about things that are already funny and ridiculous and absurd in the nation. We can't find satire outside of the satire that's already happening. It doesn't work that way. We can't do it. So now we're in a situation where we have a budgetary issue, we have an immigration problem, and the Biden administration, while they're out touring, they're on the late-night TV shows, which I have to admit, I mean, Joe Biden, while he may have you know, been an old man on late-night TV show trying to be hip and young and cool with the old ideas from that old guy, Donald Trump, that can't remember his wife's name, which 
isn't true, by the way, that uh, he he's still not as sexy as Bill Clinton up there playing on the saxophone, right? Let's just all admit that. He's he totally not as cool and hipster as Bill Clinton was back in the 90s up on the late night TV show doing the saxophone thing. So there is that, I guess. Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, also commenting on the immigration problem, saying that we have a lot of work to do and it's not getting any better because right now he's had trouble just talking with the Biden administration. Well, it was a Senate bill, and and, and James Langford of Oklahoma, who's a a good man and a good friend, uh, in good faith tried to work with Democrats to come up with a Mm -hmm. proposal that might solve the problem. Unfortunately, the product that was developed would have actually made the problem worse, and so we had to reject it. I had to declare it dead on arrival in the House. Now, we passed our version of real border control Last year, yeah. last summer, I mean, it was a, almost 11 months ago, we passed HR2, our signature piece of legislation, which would have act- actually solved the problem. The reason that we had to do that is because the president, again, took these executive actions and he refuses to do his job. Now, he's been saying for months, Jeff, that he didn't have the authority to do anything right. to fix it. Suddenly now, suddenly he's changed his tune. Um, he's he's telegraphing to us over the last few days. He's finally taking uh, my my demands that he do this to use executive authority, but I fear it won't nearly be enough. He's talking about some reform to the asylum program, but there's much, much more that needs to be done to solve the problem. Uh, That audio, by the way, from KTBS, a PBS channel that's down in Louisiana in the home state where Mike Johnson's from. So we have this standoff right now on immigration. In the Biden administration, after seeing the death of a young American girl killed by an illegal migrant, that came into this country under the policies of Joe Biden says he would have been able to prevent this from happening if he allowed if we would have allowed this immigration package to come through. And it's Republicans fault for happening, not his fault for the open borders policy that we currently have. And that he has zero authority to do anything on the border. Wiping the hands clean, wiping the hands from the blood that's on his hands and saying, I have nothing to do with this. It's all your fault. I mean, I don't know how to create a more ridiculous, absurd scenario in a TV film from Hollywood. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. 24 minutes past the hour. So now we have a budget conversation going into the end of the week. A government shutdown looming. All the media, oh, we could see a government shutdown. Now, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson says he is optimistic about seeing us not shut down the government, which I'm assuming here's, I'm not getting my hopes up. I'm not getting my hopes up. We're doing anything substantial here. I'm not getting my hopes up that we'll pass the appropriations bills. I'm not getting my hopes up that we will actually cut any spending. And I'm not getting my hopes up that we're going to stop the Democrats from passing anything absurd, like, I don't know, massive Ukrainian funding without any type of ties for transparency and to hold them accountable for where that money's being spent. I, I'm not doing it. I've had my heart broken way too many times for this conversation. And every time we get that gleam a little bit, we get just that excitement, just a little bit. And then it all goes to the wayside. So I'm not doing it. Finally, as of, I believe, today, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson was finally able to make contact and speak with the president, which they've been trying for a long time to sit down with the White House. And the White House, according to Karine Jean-Pierre, had made the comment that, well, there's nothing to talk about. They're their own worst enemy until you pass an immigration bill that we want you to pass. Then there's nothing to talk about. But you need to stop being your own worst enemy. Get out of your own way and do what we tell you to do is 
I'm paraphrasing, but that's what Corrine Jean-Pierre essentially told uh, the media on what they're expecting from Republicans. When there's so much more to be talked about right now, they still are desperate for Ukrainian funding. And it's not happening. And you know that with a deadline looming for a budget that that's going to be included in there and Democrats won't take no for an answer because they, again, like to bully Republicans into anything that they want. So, again, you have to pass it. And if we don't, the government shuts down. You let people die in the streets. It's all your fault until you pass what we tell you we want in the bill. And that's the way the conversation is going to go. I'm assuming probably another continuing resolution or some type of omnibus package, at least for an extended period of time, because we are now officially over halfway through the federal fiscal year of this year, which if you don't remember, that starts in October. So we have half the year left until the end of the fiscal year, and we still don't have a proper federal budget. We've gotten further than we have in the past, and I commend you for that. And Mike Johnson, thank you for doing that as well. But we still have a long ways to go. And I have a feeling that we could potentially be um, caving for this one because we can't allow the federal government to shut down. How dare you allow the federal government to shut down? We can't be. We can't do that. Can't be doing that. How dare you allow that? At the same time, we the, the meeting, which was kind of comical if you saw the picture of it. It was Joe Biden. And Kamala Harris and Chuck Schumer and Mike Johnson. So it was essentially three against one in the conversation, and you know how well that went. And Mike Johnson, I trust him. I think he held his ground, and I'm sure he did. I didn't get to listen to the entire conference, but I'm sure that he did uh, hold his ground there. But it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to matter because the Democrats have the majority with the presidency and the Senate, and they will say this is what's in the bill, take it or leave it, and we have until Friday to pass it before the end of the world with the federal budget. And while they're now lumping in, of course, the Ukrainian-Israeli funding and an individual package together, with those two, they're going to throw that into this conversation as uh, something that's going to be voted up or down. And you know what we're going to see? We're going to see the Republican Party get scared, and I would say Mike Johnson and some conservatives will say, yeah, that's probably not the best idea. We've been holding off on this. We need to fight for our values. We need to fight for what we need to fight for. But there will be the non-holdouts of the Republican Party that get into the hype and the fear and the paranoia from the media that if we don't pass this, then people die in the streets and government programs will shut down. And how dare we allow that to happen? We need to keep the government functioning to do this properly. And we'll end up voting for a bill with a few Republicans that actually give them enough majority in the in the House with the Democrats to pass the bill. It'll get done, and then we the conservatives can say we didn't vote for it. The moderate Republicans said we kept the government alive, and then we continue on doing the same old shenanigans that we do over and over and over and over all over again. I'm not getting my hopes up this time. I'm not doing it. I am not having my heart broken again. We'll continue this conversation when we come back. Plus, Alex Newman around the corner will talk about Russia and Ukraine, the funding, Vladimir Putin, the media, what they won't tell us, and so much more. Stay here for a Tuesday. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. It's so wonderful to have you along for the ride today. I'm reading these headlines <laughs> about this budget issue. Mike, uh, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, after the meeting that he had with the White House earlier, 
Uh, this is the most encouraging words you'll hear all day, right? Just to put this into perspective for you, according to Newsmax.com, Mike Johnson, we've been working in good faith around the clock every single day for months and weeks and over the last few years, quite literally around the clock to get this job done. We're very optimistic, according to Speaker Mike Johnson. We believe that we can get to an agreement on these issues and prevent a government shutdown. And that is our first responsibility. You can say that that is probably the most encouraging words that we're going to, you know, cut spending and actually get an appropriations process and stop the wasteful spending and stop some of the government programs. That's encouraging to me that, you know, the first response, the first priority and responsibility is to not allow the government to shut down and working across the aisle with the only Republican. Uh, Mitch McConnell was in there, but do you really consider him the true conservative Republican there? I, okay, I didn't think so. So it was really Mike Johnson against. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell and Hakeem Jeffries, all of them. It was really five against one while he says he's optimistic about keeping the government open. I feel so confident that we're actually going to keep us on a straight and narrow and get our budget under control before the deadline on Friday. Just throwing that one out there. Let's get into what's trending. What do you say? What's trending today? I can almost guarantee that this budget process that we see by the end of the week is going to, in some way, shape, or form, include the funding for Ukraine and Israel as well, which I have no problem with funding Israel for the most part. But when we have the conversation about Ukraine, that's obviously a different conversation. What's the latest there? And will we see the funding? And what aren't we really knowing about the real details of what's going on? over there right now to talk about some of that and so much more happy to have back on the program it's been a little bit since we've chatted with him he is with the liberty sentinel liberty sentinel.org also with the new american as well excited to have back on here mr alex newman alex how are you my friend doing great thank you for having me Andy. yeah yeah always good to chat with you what is the latest here do you think uh, obviously we're probably going to see some ukrainian funding in this next federal budget you think right you by the end of the week yeah i, I think ukrainian funding and countless other unconstitutional programs. I mean, this is a total disgrace. This is not why Americans voted to give Republicans the majority in the House of Representatives. But the thing is, Andy, they rely on the ignorance of Americans to do this, right? They, they can go back home and they can posture when they're on the campaign trail and say, rah, 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 we're trying to stop Biden. Everybody with a first-grade civics education ought to understand that they can very easily stop Biden. All they have to do is stop giving him money. Yeah. Shut down the FBI if that's what it takes. Shut down the Department of Justice if that's what it takes. Shut down the EPA. So they say they're concerned about the weaponization of government. They say they're concerned about the climate change hoax. They say they're concerned about the endless uh, wars and all the rest of it. They're concerned about our sovereignty. They're concerned about the World Health Organization trying to steal our freedom. They're concerned about this, that, and the other. All they have to do is cut the funding. And the, the fact that they continue to do this when they could so easily stop it, really, I think, tells you everything you need to know about uh, the House majority in Congress. This is pathetic. It, it's an absolute disgrace. And not only will they send more of our money to Ukraine, they will continue to fund the war on Americans as well. Yeah, it is unfortunate. What is the latest with Russia and the Ukraine? We haven't heard much in the news about it other than the fact that they're losing ground now because Russia's gaining traction and we have to pass this money right now or else everybody's going to die and that uh, it's all going to be game over and the USSR is going to reconvene here. Uh, but at the same time, after hearing interviews like what Tucker Carlson did with Vladimir Putin, which was fascinating, whether you trust the guy and believe the guy or not, with what he said is another story. But it, it's, it kind of put a little bit different perspective into what as Americans from the mainstream media, what we understand about the situation, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, I think Tucker Carlson 
scored a, a major journalistic coup there. Any journalist worth his or her salt would have wanted to do that. Uh, I would have asked some tougher questions. But I, I think the long and the short of it is the establishment wants war. And we know why they want war, because they have told us why they want war. It's not to defeat Putin. And you know, I'll be the first one to tell you, Putin is a very, very dangerous gangster. He is not to be trusted. He comes from the KGB. In fact, he ended up the head of the FSB, which was the successor to the KGB. Um, he, he claims to be a Christian, and yet at the same time he says communism is very similar to Christianity, which is, of course, absolutely ludicrous. Um, and he, he is trying to rebuild the Soviet system, and, and even in the same Soviet space, right? He's building the Eurasian Union, which goes right along with the strategy outlined by his late buddy Henry Kissinger in his book World Order, where he, Henry Kissinger explained that the path to a one-world order would run creating regional orders in each of the different regions around the globe. So the Europeans have the European Union, the Africans have the African Union, the Russians and the, the people in the former Soviet space have the Eurasian Union that Putin is building. But the long and the short of this war is they want war, right? Uh, back in 1962, the State Department commissioned a report called The World Effectively Controlled by the United Nations. And uh, what they concluded was that the fastest way to get us from where we were, a world of basically sovereign nations, to where they wanted to be, a world with the United Nations basically calling all the shots, was to use war or the threat of war. And so we see this chaos, this crisis, this war between Ukraine and Russia is fueling that process like never before. Uh, it worked very well for them after World War II. They built the UN, the IMF, the World Bank, uh, the nucleus of what eventually became the European Union. It was the European coal and steel community at that time. And we're now watching the same process play out as a direct result of this never-ending war between Russia and Ukraine. That is unfortunate. It, it feels like they're almost trigger-happy, pun intended, on this one, when Donald Trump was in office going for four years without starting new conflicts. And it almost seems like that kind of maybe stalled their agenda, which is why we're seeing it double-time right now with the Russia-Ukrainian issue, with Israeli, which, you know, I, I don't know how much we were involved in that one especially, but the fact that they want a ceasefire but yet continue to fund some of these other Middle Eastern nations that are attacking Israel, it seems like we want to keep that one going on as well. Yeah, it's totally ludicrous. They do want to keep that one going, and they want to keep every war that they can going. Now, if you look at the Israel uh, conflict against the Arabs, the U.S. government gives three or four times as much money to the Arab and Islamic governments that promise they're going to destroy Israel as they do to Israel. Why would you do that, right? Why would you fund the UNRWA, the Relief and Works Administration, that we know is running basically terrorist training camps masquerading as schools, teaching little Arab children that they need to wage perpetual jihad until they cleanse the land of all the Jews? It's because they want more and more war. Um, Victoria Nuland, uh, the the creep that basically set up this whole conflict in Ukraine, supposedly working for the State Department, but almost certainly in partnership with the CIA. She actually went on TV the other day and kind of let the cat out of the bag. She said, oh, all this money we're sending to Ukraine is going right back to American weapons contractors. <laughs> There's some truth to that. There's all these vested interests that want to see war and more war and more war. And frankly, they believe that if we could get another global war that would kill another few tens of millions of people, then people would finally be ready to surrender their national sovereignty, their self-government, control of their armed forces. Uh, and this is ultimately the objective. Now, the weapons contractors hoping to make money, they may not understand that. The Congress creators who are getting big donations from the weapons contractors and the lobbyists, they may not understand that. But ultimately, that is the objective. 
And uh, we know because we've got the documents. They've been talking about this for generations. And so anywhere where they can stir up more war and kill more people and destroy more stuff and get us sucked into more debt, they will happily do it. Yeah, they absolutely love it. So what is the end goal, not just for the globalist movement to centralize everything with the conflict and the anarchy in the world, but let's talk about this conflict, for example, specifically. What is the end goal, to keep the war going on as long as possible or to defeat Vladimir Putin because he doesn't want to just conform with everybody else? So let's go ahead and defeat him so we can easily absorb that area. Yeah, I I don't think there is any real goal to defeat Putin. In fact, uh, a lot of people... um, don't have the facts about Putin. And so when I when I say these things, they think it sounds very strange. But Putin has been very, very closely connected to the Western establishment from the beginning. I mean, he was a young global leader of the World Economic Forum, as uh, Klaus Schwab says from the World Economic Forum, the Davos crowd. Uh, him and Henry Kissinger were like two peas in a pod, right? Henry Kissinger was like the architect of the world order. He was, of course, working for David Rockefeller, who, of course, was working for Satan, uh, only half kidding. But um, you know, they were buddy buddies. Henry Kissinger would go over to Moscow, and Putin would throw him a parade, and they'd shower him with Russian awards and medals, and they'd have you know a twenty-one gun salute for the guy. And then Putin would come to New York, and he'd go to Henry Kissinger's house. Putin actually writes about this in his autobiography about his very close relationship with Henry Kissinger. So none of this makes sense using standard geopolitical analysis. I believe Putin is very, very much in favor of the globalist agenda. I believe if you look at his actions, that comes through very clearly. I mean, he's fully on board with all of these U.N. programs. He's part of all these international alliances that are calling for strengthening the United Nations. But right now, he's a very, very useful boogeyman when it comes to accelerating this process for globalism. So he invaded Ukraine. What happened? The European Union said, oh, we have to control all of the national militaries of the EU under a single European Union command structure. Uh, even the Swedes, right? The Swedes have been independent of NATO and all the rest of it. They have not joined any of these wars for hundreds of years. Now they're joining NATO. Finland has joined NATO. Even the Swiss are talking about joining NATO. Yeah. And all of this because of the war, plus the food crisis and the energy crisis sparked by this war are accelerating this process. So when you put all the pieces to the puzzle together, I think this is about accelerating the process of globalization. It makes a lot of sense. And like you said, they've done it since the very beginning with World War One and Two, where they, well, it's the League of Nations, now the United Nations after World War Two, and it just continues to grow with all of this stuff. And while he may be a quote-unquote against NATO, they're all for this United Nations movement trying to centralize this power and we always seem to do that when there's chaos and anarchy in the streets and we say government solve the problem what can you do do something because we feel very vulnerable in the situation don't worry government will solve this for us as well alex hang on the line we got to take a break here we're talking with alex newman he's with the liberty sentinel liberty sentinel.org is the website you can also check out his writings on the new american magazine as well when we come back i want to talk about the future of what this may look like and how we can stop some of this and does this reinforce the idea that when Donald Trump was president, we didn't see conflicts, and they were itching, they were scratching, they were going nuts with the fact that not being able to promote this agenda and how important these elections are moving forward. Lots more coming up. It is a post-Monday right here on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Got a few minutes left here on the program. So I was watching some audio from Chuck Schumer sitting outside the White House just a while ago after their meeting during the break, and they were talking about uh, essentially browbeating Mike Johnson and saying, it's in your hands. We have the bill. We have the Ukrainian funding. We have this federal budget. We have all this stuff. It's in your hands. Either you pass it or not. And you know the devastation of what could it look like. So again, it's either you get on board and do the middle of the road compromise working together thing by passing the bill we want, or else the government will shut down and it will be all your fault. So that's the conversation that we're at, and the question is whether Mike Johnson will stand firm and say no, or whether we'll cave and allow that to continue on. Right now, we're hanging out with Alex Newman, Liberty Sentinel Media. You can visit his website at libertysentinel.org. You can also find his writings on thenewamerican.com as well. We're talking about the globalization and the wars that are causing us to centralize power more and more. And i got to say, on the positive side of things, Alex, I always like to be the eternal optimist here. Uh, I listened to a lot of the speeches going on at CPAC over the weekend and listening from the El Salvador president, Nayib Bukele, from listening to the president of Argentina, who's a brilliant mind, maybe a little bit dry on the rally sense of things, but one of the most brilliant anti-socialist, capitalist kind of guys uh, of today's times, I think, that spoke absolutely brilliant minds. There's a there's an awakening And it seems like there's this quote-unquote awakening in Central and South America right now who has been under the control of socialist movements and centralized power for so long that they're finally beginning to, to push back, and it's happening in other places than just in the United States. And to me, that's encouraging while we see this desperate attempt to centralize power to a global front and Joe Biden you know, giving executive orders over to the World Health Organization for a new pandemic guidelines, you know, if something else happens, God forbid, and giving them the full reign, that we're seeing other nations begin to push back a little bit. And I'm hoping that we can take that to heart a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, I'm very encouraged by how many people are waking up around the world. Latin America is encouraging. Even what's happening in Europe is encouraging. I, I grew up in Latin America, and it's true. Uh, most of the region is dominated by socialists and communists today. Uh, they actually have a, a little secretive network they formed back in the 90s called the Foro de São Paulo. Uh, Lula, the current Marxist dictator of Brazil, um, <clears throat> Fidel Castro, the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, and the uh, FARC Marxist terrorists in Colombia came together. And their alliance still controls about two-thirds of the governments of Latin America. But what just happened in Argentina was a major, major blow to their power. Uh, What happened in El Salvador was a major blow to their power. And if you look at the elections that have happened over the last year in Europe, what you see is that conservatives and populists, people who are promising to stop the surrender of sovereignty, stop the globalism, stop the out-of-control big government, the war on farmers, they are dominating. They are crushing the opposition. So all of this is encouraging, uh, but you know it also makes the, the Marxists, the totalitarians, the globalists, and the socialists much more dangerous because they see their grasp on power slipping away. And uh, so we're in a, a very interesting and very unique moment in history where uh, lots of opportunity to restore liberty and restore sovereignty, but also great danger uh, on multiple fronts. Yeah, they like to escalate things, which uh, in about the last minute that we have here, uh, that leads us to the importance of this coming election in 2024 and whether people like Donald Trump or dislike Donald Trump. We didn't see conflicts uh, that the U.S. was involved in over the four years that he was in the administration. And I think if this is what they're using for their arson to try and centralize power, I think that's one of the signs of why they're so desperate to keep him out of office again, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the the military-industrial complex is very real. It's very powerful. It's part of a broader 
globalist complex, and uh, one of the biggest threats that Donald Trump represents to the establishment is that there might be a sudden, spontaneous breakout of peace because the United States is strong again, and they uh, they recognize that we're not going to just go uh, go to war to defend other people's borders and other people's sovereignty while our own borders and our own sovereignty are being systematically dismantled. So, uh, yeah, the, the globalists, the deep staters are very concerned about the possibility of a Trump presidency, and I think that's a good sign. That is a good sign. Yeah, and we have Joe Biden on the late-night TV talk show saying that Donald Trump is old with old ideas. And it's not about the age of the person, but it's about the age of the ideas. And Donald Trump just represents nothing but old ideas, and that's why we shouldn't vote for Donald Trump, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all. But, you know, that's Joe Biden for you on a late-night talk show. It's Alex Newman. Go check it out, libertysentinel.org, also the newamerican.com as well. Alex, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. I love having you on the show. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Yeah, always a pleasure. There it is, Alex Newman. Go check out all the great content, all the great writings. It makes sense. And you can see the deeper picture of what the real agenda is here. And when you know what the agenda is and you know what they're trying to do, we can work to stop it because now we're aware of it. And they're using the conflicts like they have for oh so many years and decades to try and centralize that power. Let's not allow that to happen. That does it for us today. Back at it again tomorrow for the middle of the week. Until then... Be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. Be the one making that change in your local community. Speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.